Welcome back to episode 114 of Broomsticks and Butterbeer. I'm Dan Rhino. I'm Jessica Rhino. And we are continuing our journey through Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Last time we talked about chapter 20, which was Hagrid's Tale. And we talked about the uh, Hagrid's recalling of his uh, perilous journey through the world of giants. That was a secret. Kind of. Because everybody knew about it. It was supposed to be a secret. Hagrid doesn't do well with secrets. No, he really doesn't. But before we talk about Chapter 21, let's recap Hagrid's tale, Chapter 20. Hagrid is back from his sabbatical, and Harry, Ron, and Hermione go to visit Hagrid at his hut. Hagrid looks like he's been hit by the Hogwarts Express. Oh, no. That's not good. He is in bad shape. He's icing down his wounds with... Dragon meat. Yes, he said, not ice. And it wasn't ice. Tells the tale of himself and Madame Maxine journeying into the mountains, trying to recruit the giants to Dumbledore's side before the Death Eaters can do the same. The giants are near extinction at this point and living in close quarters, which is not good for them. Uh, things are going well, actually. Hagrid and Maxine are giving the gifts to the giants' leader, and then there's a big revolt, and the old giant king gets his head chopped off and thrown in a lake. Ew. And we've got a change in giant leadership. The new giant leader isn't fond of Hagrid and Maxime, and Maxime has to use magic just to help them escape, which is a big no-no in the giant world. Uh, things get even worse when Death Eaters show up and start making progress in establishing a relationship with the new giant big boss. And, of course, Dolores Umbridge shows up to Hagrid's hut, seems to know that the kids have visited... And also seems to know that Hagrid has been spending time in the mountains. Harry, Ron, and Hermione are able to return to the castle undetected. But Hermione knows Hagrid needs to change some things with his teaching style in order to keep his job with Umbridge around. Yeah, it doesn't. It's going to be a mess, Daniel. Let's get into that that mess with chapter twenty one, the Eye of the Snake. Let's get into this twenty five page chapter. It was a it was a doozy. <sighs> this book's a doozy. I like this book. We're only like halfway through it, I think. I know. We still gotta get to the good stuff. That's <sighs> long. It's twenty twenty three as we're recording this. I'm gonna be retired by the time we finish this thing. <laughs> this book or all of books? this book? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. I got five years until retirement. We're, we're doing two chapters a month. Yeah, and there's like a hundred chapters left. There's not. This, this is lies. Uh, Hermione tries to meet with Hagrid to explain the seriousness of Umbridge's role at Hogwarts, to implore Hagrid to tone down the riskiness of his lessons, and, if needed, to plan the lessons for Hagrid herself. <laughs> How does that go? Um, not well, Daniel. He doesn't really listen to her, doesn't really take her seriously. He's, you know, I mean, he's not ever really a typical adult, but in this case, I'm going to use that term for him. He's a typical adult and thinks he knows better than a child, even though that child is Hermione. And we have a lot of adults in this book that are not typical adults. We got Sirius, yeah. <laughs> we got Hagrid. Mr. Weasley, something ain't right with him. <laughs> we got a lot of uh, non-typical adults in these in these books. So does Hagrid just underestimate how dangerous and powerful Umbridge is? And by powerful, I mean like how much influence she much has. Trouble she can cause. Yeah, because he's because he hasn't been here, or is 
is that just kind of Hagrid being Hagrid? Is he just always kind of think that, ah, how bad could it be? Um, both. Like, he clearly doesn't understand because he hasn't been around. If he's been around, he would know. But he also is just in general a, eh, how bad could it be person? Mm -hmm. Because uh, Hermione, no doubt, was trying to explain to Hagrid every the, everything that's been happening and the the hoops that they've had to jump through just to be able to deal with daily life at Hogwarts under Umbridge's rule. Because Umbridge is constantly gaining more and more power almost to the point where, you know, she has just as much influence as Dumbledore at this point. Especially with the fact that she's on good terms with the Ministry and Dumbledore isn't. And Dumbledore's kind of stuck in a position where he can't can't do anything. So right now she seems to like really have a lot more power than him because he's not utilizing any of his power. That, like right now he's just kind of missing. We don't yeah, even he see hasn't him. Been, he's been very absent. Reminds me of a year I was working at a particular school and we never saw the principal. <laughs> Like, like she, we never saw her. Yeah. Like she was, she was very absent. And I've worked for some good bosses where they're, they're, they're walking the halls and they're peeking in the classrooms and they're talking to kids and they're, you know, going out to recess and, you know, ob observing, you know, just how every little part of the school runs and being very visible is, is a, is a good thing. And I think that, what Dumbledore has been doing, which I'm sure is all part of his big plan, because he's a, he's a very much a, a, a strategist, mm -hmm. is kind of laying low. You know, even when he had to show up for Harry's trial, he got in, said his piece, got out. Um, there was no emotional connection or anything like no, that. He was stopping very, and talking to no, anybody. He's very matter of fact, and that's kind of been an opportunity for Umbridge to seize more and more control at Hogwarts and use that influence that she has with the Ministry in order to do so. But at the same time, it's the reason he's doing it is to not give her more reasons mm -hmm. to go after him or go after the Order. He's trying not to draw the attention or draw the direct fire. Yes, she's going after the school. Yes, she's making all these rules and making things difficult and kind of going after the teachers. But if he was there, it would just be more that she could go after and mess up. Some of the students are happy to see Hagrid back, but there's a big chunk of the student body, not just the Slytherins, that seem to prefer Care of Magical Creatures classes under Professor Grubbly Plank. What do you make of that? I think it's just more consistency. I mean, yes, we all know that the Buckbeak Malfoy thing was stupid. But Hybrid just does have a tendency to, you know, a little put bit of, them in more of a loose cannon. dangerous situations. Yeah. And then he overcorrected and went to something that was completely and utterly boring. Mm-hmm. So I think with Grubbly Plank, there's just more consistency. You know you're going to get more that middle of the road. Interesting, but not dangerous. Or, and you feel like you're learning things. That's one thing that, that I found teaching for 20 years, that a lot of kids thrive on consistency and routine and clearly laid out expectations. And a lot of them do not do well with kind of the wild card aspect that Hagrid seems to portray. I totally agree. Like, you know, I subbed several, all the time. And you could just tell. The kids would walk in the room and see me. I worked at the school. They see me all the time. Mm -hmm. But they walk into the room and be like, Ah! She's not here! Where's she at? What? You know, like, they mm -hmm. just flip out yeah. because their teacher's not there. Yeah. And so then they know their day is not going to be normal and routine. Mm -hmm. 
no matter how e- good even the though plans you're, even are. Even though you're following the exact plans that that teacher laid out minute by minute. It's still a little different. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, she always calls this row first after lunch. <laughs> I'm sorry. I called the wrong row right. to line up first and to, after lunch. And to lunch. you, you're like, what's the big deal yeah, with that? But to them, matter. it's like the end of the world. Like we're all getting into our line order. It's not even like you get to go first. You have to get in your line order. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter who I call first. Right. You're going to end up in the same you spot You just walk to your assigned spot <laughs> 10 seconds later than you would have before. And they lose it. So let's talk about the wounds on Hagrid's face. Somehow they look worse than the day before. And actively bleeding. <sighs> And so there's a theory that maybe he got ripped open by some kind of monster that has venom that doesn't allow the wounds to heal yeah, or something like, like that. They keep bursting open again because it won't heal. Or or whatever their lesson is about today. So they don't have uh butterfly bandages in the wizarding world. I don't Poppy doesn't have uh <laughs> I'm sure if he went and saw her Things would be set set to rights, yeah. but he doesn't. He's not going to do all that. It's Hagrid. But either way, Hagrid is ready for his first lesson back, and Hagrid, with half a dead cow over his sh- shoulder, leads the students into the forest for today's lesson. Yeah. So, if the forest is called the Forbidden Forest, should Hagrid really be teaching classes there? He's a teacher. He can. Um... So it's only forbidden if you're not with supervision yeah like at school you're forbidden to leave school grounds but if you're going with your teacher to like our kids the the first grade or kindergarten i think they walk to the park for like one of their field trips they go have a picnic at the park but they Mm. walk there that's okay you can leave with the teacher this doesn't seem like a great idea and uh, malfoy who was always hesitant about anything hagrid suggests is thinking the same thing. He didn't have a good experience the last time Malfoy was in the he was Forbidden fine. Forest. Uh, Hagrid tells him, tell him being Malfoy, something along the lines of stop asking stupid questions. <laughs> I love that. Now this line stuck out to me because if I said something like that to one of my students, I'd have someone's very angry grandma in the office the next day trying to get me fired. Yes. Like, it just... Was, it was one of those moments where it's like, I'm glad he said it because I could never say it. You now, know? It, I'm sure uh, my teachers, when I was in elementary school, said that to kids all the time. You know, I'm sure they said things like that, and I just don't remember them. But it, it, it just... Today, in today's society, you have to be so... On your toes, you have to like like you're walking on thin ice, literally, all the time. Because one thing that you say, one look that you give, one consequence that you give, the the generation that we're working with right now is more supportive of the kids than they are the teachers. And that one just kind of, it's just stuck out to me as something like, uh-oh, I could never say that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's not just the fact that, you know, Malfoy's got the dad that's always looking to, you know, come and raise trouble at the school with the people that aren't that he doesn't like. It's, there's so many Lucius Malfoys out there <laughs> right now in in the real world that are so... Like overly believing and overly supportive of any bad thing that their kids do, and that the teacher can do no right. And um, I don't know. It just kind of uh, it, it was worth me writing down in my notes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hagrid drops the uh, large glob of meat in the forest, uh, makes a bunch of weird bird calls. And then our magical creature of the week shows up. But this is only noticed by a few people in class because we meet the Thestrals again. Like formally meet them. Formally meet we've them. Seen yeah, them we've before. met that we've met them in passing before. Yes. 
Uh, but this is our. We're not properly introduced. Yeah, this is our this is our first official date with them, so to speak. Uh, the same horse-like creatures that were pulling the student wagons to Hogwarts earlier in the book, and at the time we got the great line from Luna Lovegood: "Don't worry, you're just as sane as I am." Mm-hmm. When Harry and Luna seemed to be the only ones that could see the Thestrals. This time around, we know that the Thestrals can be seen by Hagrid, Harry, a random Sly- Slytherin kid number seven. Yeah, Rando. <laughs> and Neville. And what's the significance behind who can see them again? Uh, Hermione had this answer for us. Of course. Uh, only people who have seen death. So this is a common, uh, not not a common thing, because a lot of the things that Hermione knows most of the kids don't know because of how much reading she does. But this is a, an accessible, like if you had a copy of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Yes. By Newt Scamander. As which, we all do. Which which we know that the kids have access to that book because those the movies are prequels to these stories here. So that book has already been written. That book is probably has several copies in the library. That book might even be required reading. Oh, yeah, um, I'm sure it's been referenced already. You know, one of the, the years at, at Hogwarts. But this is not like something that only Hagrid knows. This is knowledge that if you're familiar with these magical beasts at all, that you would you would know. And Hermione at some point, no doubt, have read every book that you know she can get her hands on, has come across that and memorized that fact as well. And as soon as Hagrid said, these are Thestrals, she would, oh, mm-hmm. of course, that's why I can't see them, that's why, and it was just all clicked into place for her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you're saying, if anybody else had read that book or just happened to have come across that information, yeah. it would be clicking for them, too. Because even if that, even if the Fantastic Beast book had a drawing of a Thestral, she still wouldn't be able to see it. To, to be to able to reference is, to the right, the reference the drawing that she, that she saw. So apparently Hagrid and Harry and Neville and S- random Slytherin kid number seven have all experienced death at some point. So does that like they've seen somebody die or they've been close to death themselves or they've seen somebody die? Gotcha, gotcha. That's what it later. Sh- uh, you don't say, yeah. Ugh, I can't talk. Umbridge asks Neville, who did you see die? Gotcha. So apparently the urban legend as regards, uh, as it relates to Thestrals is that if you see a Thestral, bad things are going to happen to you. So I guess the urban legend is very similar to the Grimm, but it's really the other way around, isn't it? It's like if you can see a Thestral, bad things have already happened to you. Yeah. So this it's not a, like a bad omen, grim situation. So this they is just a have that association. So this is like a, a you know a pretty cool lesson that Hagrid has done, and and cool lessons have never been lacking for Hagrid. It's been more the execution execution of them, mm-hmm. and maybe the timing of them, because there's nothing cooler than like the hippogriff lesson. It's just that. Hagrid should probably know that there's jerk that a lot of kids are jerks and a lot of kids are not going to listen <laughs> and that's why Malfoy got you know bit or scratched or whatever you know happened to him but for Harry it was probably the coolest lesson he ever had he got to you know fly around the, the grounds on a hippogriff so that's not having interesting lessons is not really Hagrid's problem it's really how he kind of goes about it yeah yeah Yeah. so i mean it would be cool it's cool to go to the zoo on a field trip because that's really a controlled environment although at our st louis zoo apparently bears are just getting out all the time and the bear (laughs) he's getting out there's like we have like a a alert on the news like every couple weeks that this bear is just out and they shut down the zoo until they can trank him and get him back to where he's supposed to be. They keep saying, too, it's just like, oh, well, it's this one spot where, like, if you push on the cable just right, he like, could move the, can't we put the up netting some, some over. plywood or something? Some zip ties? I mean, come on. 
Yeah, it does. It like it's a seem... one in a million shot that he's figured out how to get out this this very small that you had to maneuver it mm-hmm. just right. Put up some of that orange fencing, that <laughs> plastic orange fencing, and kind of double or triple it, maybe to make it a little thicker. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I'm not a zoologist. <laughs> it reminds me of Jurassic Park where they're like they're testing the fences. <laughs> Clearly, Ben's been testing the fence. Yeah, and he found and and he's found them lacking. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Ben can't be contained. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Uh, so uh, where was I? I'm going through my notes. <laughs> Talking here. about how safe zoos were. Okay. Uh, it has to be really weird. For the majority of the class that can't see the Thestrals. And yeah, that's the big downside for this lesson. But they just see this meat getting ripped off this dead animal by nothing. And that's probably even freakier to yes. me. Like, I think I'd be okay seeing, you know, the the skeletal, skeletal horses, horses or whatever. But if there's just some invisible monster <laughs> just devouring this dead Carcass, cow, yeah. yeah. This large, large carcass. It's probably about the size of a child. Uh, so then we get the infamous fake cough. <laughs> and Umbridge is here to observe the lesson, which is not good. Uh, we do get a bit of comedy here, though. In the end. Um, but it overall, a visit from Umbridge bodes very poorly for Hagrid. But it is pretty funny. Because we have talked about it before on this show both in previous books and in this book in uh, a few episodes ago, the fact that Umbridge can't understand what the heck Hagrid is saying. You can't understand what Hagrid's saying you, half the time. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> We've talked about this. Yes. We've talked about this. So it's not just me. <laughs> and apparently, uh, who, who else did, did they ask? Cho? No, also? Patty. Was it our lavender? Was who? Oh, that was Patty Patel. Uh, oh, one Patty, of the one yeah, of the one Patel of the Patel sister. girls. And she, no, no, most of the time it just sounds like he's grunting. <laughs> no, I don't know if I'd go that far. That it just sounds like he's <laughs> like he's the Tasmanian devil or something like that. Both the dogs' attentions now. Uh, kind of hurt my throat a little bit there, but it. Yeah, he is. He's hard to understand, um, but Hagrid can't seem to understand why Umbridge can't follow what he's saying. So he kind of mimes all of his words a little bit. He, it's almost like he's saying, "Oh, this lady's a little slow, so I need to act it out for her." And Umbridge even joins in on this, doing like similar bad sign language to try to communicate back with Hagrid. So it just it just snowballs into this like comedic back and forth between uh, Hagrid and Umbridge. And you know, the underscore of that is the fact that none of this is going to be good for Hagrid. No. And Hagrid gets very flustered very quickly mm-hmm. by this, and it makes you know a pretty cool lesson end up kind of going off the rails. She makes her notes essentially out loud mm-hmm. she says she mumbles to herself like, but hmm. can't hmm. understand what i'm saying <laughs> has to use crude sign language <laughs> um, yeah and then speaks very loudly when she's asking the students questions so that he can hear that you know she's questioning what he's doing some of the answers are not flattering for him yeah, yeah. Yeah, just lots of things. So, like I said, throw him off his game. Yeah, it makes for a a funny scene, but it all just confirms what Umbridge already knew was that she was not going to approve of anything Hagrid does. She knows that Hagrid is Dumbledore's boy, and that's not going to anything he does is not going to jive well with her. And Hermione's about to lose it. (laughs) (laughs) You, you. Just evil wench. Yeah, she was. She was mad. Yeah. Uh, well, it's almost time for Christmas break. Uh, Ron is going home to the borough. Hermione is going skiing, apparently. Nice. Fancy. Nice muggle activity. And Harry is seemingly without a, a good place to spend the holidays, but that's mainly because Ron forgot to tell Harry that he'd been invited home with the Weasleys, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know that thing that you've been like 
like kind of dreading like either having to go home to the Dursleys or be at the at Hogwarts. I'm sure Harry would prefer to be at Hogwarts with yeah whatever he go home. whatever go back ske- to the whatever Dursleys. skeleton crew is is left there. Oh yeah, yeah. My mom invited you like five weeks ago. <laughs> you're going too, right? Like, yeah, you're, you're going, invited. right? My mom said you could come. Like, what's the big this deal? This had to have come up at some point. Boys, boys are dumb. Boys babe. are the worst. Like, they don't talk about things. <laughs> this Ron had to just have come was, up. Like, going home for Christmas. Obviously, Harry's coming with me, but I don't have to say that because obviously everybody knows that. Yeah, and and Harry has not like broach the subject at any point like leading up to it he hasn't been like down down in the dumps and yeah i kept saying he and wanted Ron asked to ask him, but he didn't <laughs> hey man can i come home with you no don't ask him you send an owl to molly <laughs> that's what you do you go above ron or you ask the twins the twins would be like yeah dude come on yeah i thought you were coming <laughs> you're coming right we already knew you were coming I don't know. Just like you said, boys are the worst. That sums it up quite well. Uh, well, we do have one last secret Dumbledore's army meeting before the break. And Dobby, we don't do anything new. <laughs> like, I wish we would. I wish you would have told me that we weren't doing anything new. And the twins are like, "Yeah, we wish we would have told you too. You wouldn't have come." <laughs> I don't know who. What what jerk? It, I don't even remember what jerk it was that, that said that. It was the same one that was kind of Zachary, kind of acting the same way at the uh, like the Hog's Head. A couple chapters ago. Uh, Dobby has decorated the room of requirement for Christmas, hasn't he? <sighs> Happy uh, Harry Christmas instead of Merry Christmas. Happy Harry Christmas. Yeah. Um, he hangs a whole bunch of, what it, was it, golden balls on the ceiling that said, Happy Merry Christmas. Happy, I'm Happy sorry. Happy Harry Christmas. I still didn't say it right. <laughs> Happy Harry Christmas. Hundreds of them, he said. <sighs> <laughs> And Harry has to, Harry doesn't want everybody to, he, he already doesn't like being the chosen one. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't want everybody to come into a room and see this, uh, this idolism that's and going on. it has on. his face on it, yes. too, right? Yes, so, hundreds it's, of Harry faces. It's very Lockhart-ish. <laughs> it like, is. Lockhart would have. Yes. A hundred golden we bubbles. We wish you a merry Lockhart. We, we wish you a merry Lockhart. Lockhart. We wish you a merry Lockhart. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly and what, what he would do. Happy Harry Christmas. Yeah, it's so Harry has to quick has to as quick as possible take all of this down. Um, it's important to note. Uh, there's a little discussion about the Quidditch team before the last lesson takes place. Yeah. Uh, that Harry, Fred, and George have been replaced on the Gryffindor Quidditch team following their banishment from the team. And Jenny is taking over as Seeker. I fully support this. I think it's awesome. But it's also, like, really ridiculous that the entire team is, is Weasleys. There's a, there's a lot of Weasleys, babe. It's, it's you're <laughs> just, it, the probability of having lots of Weasleys on your team is going to happen. But it's because all there, of them. There's a lot. It's not like there are other ones that are not on the team. They're all on the team now. Well, all the Potters are on the team too. <laughs> no, they're not. They're banished for life. Well, not a, yeah, not anymore. They're not. But yeah, I mean, the Weasleys are are very Quidditchy. <laughs> very Quidditchy. Yeah, they're very Quidditchy. So we'll see how Jenny does in the in her new role as Seeker. Apparently, she's not bad. She's no Harry, but Harry's like apparently one of the all time Hogwarts. Seekers. He seems to always. Yeah. Well, his dad was. Yeah. Seems to always uh, get the job done. But we'll see how Jenny does. But our final DA meeting of the year is a big review of everything Harry has taught him, uh, has taught them, and that's where we get the comment about, "Oh, we're just reviewing things. If I would have known that, I wouldn't have showed up." And Fred and George are quick to jump to Harry's. I, it just they're just great in, in the books. Mm-hmm. They're just great, very supportive of, very big brotherish uh, toward Harry. Uh, their their adopted little brother, unofficially adopted little brother, and said, "Yeah, yeah, we wish uh, you would have known that too, because then we wouldn't have had to deal with you coming. It would have been great. Everybody would have win win for everybody." Uh, afterwards, there's a private scene between Harry and Cho that is kind of 
strange. There's a lot of emotions happening. Yeah, so it was a little different than in the movies, mm-hmm. and I think the movies made more sense. Mm-hmm. Or they, they they tweaked. They just it was a little tiny change, but it made it make more sense. I feel like. Well, tell me the. So in this in this chapter, she Harry's cleaning up. And he's kind of hanging behind because he thinks Cho's hanging behind. And she is. She tells her friend to go ahead until it's just the two of them. Harry's like stacking uh, <laughs> cushions, cushions for like the 37th time. Yeah. And, um, and he just hears her sniffling. She's just crying. And it's just very weird that nothing. I mean, I get it. kind of get the explanation from Hermione later. But... It, Nothing seems to really trigger it in this chapter, where in the movies they have like this little um, corkboard or whatever with pictures up on it, and there's mm. a picture of Cedric on the corkboard, right. and she kind of is looking at it, and it makes her start crying. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I feel like that just made a little more sense that that. There was like more of a trigger. Yeah, that does make that does make sense. Just standing there, being like, "I'm gonna stay back. I'm gonna tell my friends to go, so I can have this quiet moment with Harry, and it's gonna be great." And we're gonna, oh yeah, Cedric. <laughs> it's yeah, like so, it just doesn't. I mean, the only thing I can I can think of is that I'm gonna hang back and have this little private moment because I like this boy. And then it made her think about the last boy that she liked and what happened. And but I don't I don't know. It's just it's kind it's kind of sloppy. Yeah. Like, um. And like sh- and like you said, I don't even remember that that scene from the movie. But that that makes a lot more sense. You know, it's it, a, a, a way to cl- a clean it up a little bit. Yeah. Like she orchestrated this. She wanted this, and then all right. of a sudden, she's just standing there crying for no reason. Yeah, there's like so there's like mistletoe there. Um, we didn't even talk about the mistletoe moment with Harry and Luna, <laughs> where Harry kind of gets out from underneath it real quick, and Luna, not thinking there was anything romantic about all, it at she all, just said, like, "Oh, that's a good idea because those, those nargles, you know, nargles will get you." <laughs> you know, they like they like to hang out in that mistletoe, but so it seemed like Harry and Cho kind of wanted to have this little. Both kind of wanted to have this little private moment, and then chose crying. And oh, Harry just wanted to hang out so that she would tell him Happy Christmas. Yeah, that was like his end game. There yeah. was like maybe if it was just two of us before she leaves, she'll say Happy Christmas to me. Yeah, but there's so I I have mixed feelings about this scene because she Cho is crying over her dead former boyfriend underneath a mistletoe with the boy who was there when it happened and brought back his dead body and then Very they messy. and then they kiss well okay wait she said that she was crying because she was upset because not just like oh i'm sad cedric's dead it was more of the content if Cedric the, was here and if learning this stuff. he was here and stuff, he learned this stuff, maybe he wouldn't. like yeah. Because what we're doing is so great. Like She, she believes in what they're doing mm-hmm. and wishing that he had been a part of it so that he would know this stuff too. And then maybe that could have had a different outcome. Although that would make things complicated too because now you, you still got two boys that you like. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I don't. But Harry assures her that, yeah, he... He knew all this stuff. That's why he was in the Triwizard Tournament. That's why he made it as far as he did. That wouldn't have changed anything. Dumble if Dumbledore, if Voldemort wants to kill you and had the drop on you. By yeah, the way, he didn't. Cedric didn't have a clue what was going no. on. He was part of the tournament. Yeah, thought it was like the next level. But it's just, it's just so weird that they end up they end up kissing here, like with all that, like backstory there. Yeah. It is a little messy. Yeah. Literally. And apparently the kiss was a little messy, too. Harry yeah, said it was very was wet. She was still crying. Like her <laughs> face was still wet. Um, but, you know. It's a little sloppy. I don't. I always wonder how much she. And it's like you can't speak bad of the dead. But I wonder how Uh-oh. much she actually liked Cedric. Whoa. Hit the hot take button, if you will. 
hot take. <laughs> I mean, it sounded more like she didn't have any plans to go to the ball. I think cause we knew she liked Harry. They yeah. had all these little interactions yeah. and giggle moments and smiles and whatever leading up to it. We knew as the readers that she liked Harry, but Harry didn't get up the nerve to ask her. And then Cedric, the other champion, the golden boy, asked her. And she said yes. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well, if Harry's not going to ask me, then I'm not going to not go. You're and like, then, this like, isn't this isn't a bad backup. No, plan. he's like the <laughs> most popular kid at school right now. I'm, this is not bad at all. Yeah. But how, like, actually seriously into a relationship they were, I don't know. Gotcha. Well, Harry does get his kiss. He goes back to the Gryffindor common room, kind of on, you know, floating on cloud nine and we get a mixed reaction from ron and hermione here and i ha i'm going to read hermione's part okay. here okay i've got the page mark called here. it a rant earlier uh, it's a bit of a rant um and i've got it here it's on uh, my page in my copy uh page 459 hermione stops what she's doing and says, well, obviously she's feeling very sad because of Cedric dying. Then I expect she's feeling confused because she liked Cedric and now she likes Harry. And she can't work out who she likes best. Then she'll be feeling guilty, thinking it's an insult to Cedric's memory to be kissing Harry at all. And she'll be worrying about what everyone else might say about her if she starts going out with Harry. And she probably can't work out what her feelings toward Harry are anyway, because he was the one who was with Cedric when Cedric died. So that's all very mixed up and painful. Oh, and she's afraid she's going to be thrown off the Ravenclaw Quidditch team because she's been flying so badly. <laughs> and Ron says, one person can't feel all that at once. They'd explode. And Hermione's response? Just because you've got the emotional range of a teaspoon. We've had that on our drop board for a long time. Forever. And now Sounds we finally got to it. <laughs> So I think in the movie too, she even adds something about her mom works at the ministry and she's worried about her mom's job and mm -hmm. uh, like there's even more I think or maybe they leave out the Quidditch team bit and put her she's worried about her mom at work and losing her job or whatever. So is Hermione just super perceptive or is this just like a magic power that all you girls have to know what other girls are thinking? And why is Hermione kind of mean about it? She was kind of, she was a little, like, perturbed at Cho. That's the way I took it, from, like, what the, what she was saying. Even before this, she was kind of scoffing at the fact that they kissed at all. And then she kind of goes on her rant. I don't know, she wasn't just very, like, she wasn't happy for her friend. She, she knows Harry likes Cho. Um, I don't know. Um, I think... It's probably, Hermione is very perceptive, but girls do kind of think about that stuff more. But also, it, I don't think it's kept very secret. She said that Cho's been crying everywhere lately. Mm -hmm. She cries in the bathroom, she cries. So I think she, Hermione's just kind of getting a little fed up with it. Like, mm. this is the following year. Like, like it's your been, boyfriend like, did die like a whole six months ago. Get over it. Like, we're still crying in the bathroom constantly? We're still crying over your dead boyfriend from six months ago? That you didn't even like that much? Because <laughs> you liked Harry before you even went out with Cedric? I think it's just, I've said it for years, girls don't like other girls. So Unless I, you don't consider them a threat. I'm, if you don't consider them a threat, then you can be friends with them. I'm guessing that Cho, you know, I already said she kind of orchestrated this, I think. She, t they talked about it. Like the girls in the bathroom were talking about it. Like tonight's the night. I'm gonna stay late after a meeting, and I'm gonna kiss Harry. Like I feel like she said that because Hermione even says something like, "So did you kiss?" <laughs> so you ki I bet you kissed. Did because I think she knew that Cho was planning on mm. this. This. She was probably probably you know told everybody those plans while she was you know. 
crying in the bathroom. <laughs> I miss Cedric, but I'm going to kiss Harry after the DA meeting. <laughs> and if she did that and you were Hermione, wouldn't you be a little annoyed? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Come on, let's be fair. Not to, now, not to say that Cho actually did that, but if that I happened. I feel like she did, though, <laughs> because Hermione kind of knew all this already. She's like. So, so Hermione's just like in the next stall, so just like trying to trying to go to the bathroom. Yeah, and she's having to listen. All <laughs> and the, every she, time she couldn't get to the sink to wash her hands, she's got to deal with Mo- Moni Myrtle in one, and she's got to deal with Cho crying in the other. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think she knew about this little plot, and that might add more. T- not um, make it make it make more sense more, a little bit, add more context to it. For the why, okay, now she's crying, but she still went ahead and kissed Harry because mm-hmm. she told all the girls she was going to. Yeah. You know, this was her plan. This is why she stayed. She's going to kiss Harry. She told everybody in the bathroom she was going to do it. And so, it's, oops, I'm crying. Oh, well, going to kiss him anyway. Yeah. Send all your hate tweets to at Jess Rhino, <laughs> J-E-S-S-R-Y-N-O. Uh, the chapter ends with Come Harry. On, it makes sense. The chapter ends with Harry having a very vivid dream. And waking up with his scar hurting. And we've come to learn when the scar is hurting, there's usually something to do with Voldemort going on. Whether it's a projection of Voldemort's emotions or something else. But in this dream, in air quotes here, Harry envisions himself from the point of view of a snake who violently attacks Arthur Weasley. And Harry wakes up vomiting, sweating, in pain. Apparently just threw up on the ground. He couldn't make it to the trash can or anything. I hate when kids do that in the classroom. They just... I've never in my life had to throw up where I I just like... uh (laughs) Uh-oh. It's always been... Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, no. It's it's, it's coming. Oh, no. (laughs) Once. You did once? Just projectile vomited like the exorcist all over the place? I I knew it was coming, but I did not have a lot of warning. And I like cupped my hands and well, something. kind of made it to the sink, that's but something. I didn't get all the way to the th- to the sink before things started. Hey, Jess, good hustle out there. I tried. Good hustle out there. I put Kid, in these the kids, effort. These kids don't even try. They'll just throw, they think the, the world is their toilet. And they'll <laughs> Basically. just throw, throw, throw garbage on the floor. They puke on the floor. They, they just look at you and go, <laughs> Oops. What? Yep. Oops. It's just awful. Um, I like the milk one. When they drop their milk and they just go <gasps> and watch it just continue to spill. <laughs> go, pick it up. Go, 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 go. You're right there. Just t- set it, pick it up and put it up. Oh, no. It's just, yeah. Continuing to spill out. Uh, so Neville goes to get help, goes to get Professor McGonagall and Harry, um, is taken by Professor McGonagall to see someone who has been as we said earlier, very distant from everybody, but specifically from Harry in this book, Professor Dumbledore. And and that's where we're heading. Going to the headmaster. In the next chapter. I don't even say his name anymore. Uh, anything else you want to add about chapter 21, The Eye of the State? Because we do have an email. Hi. Think we covered it all. All right, let's go to our email. I'm not ready for this. You can always. You even gave me plenty of time to think about it. Yeah, I gave it you a heads. Sometimes I don't give you a, a heads up because I want a, I want a genuine reaction. I want a snap decision. I want to see the one, look on you your gotta face. You got to weigh things mm-hmm. and think you your do. way this through it. This one required it. a little bit of, of, uh, a little bit of uh, pre homework, so to speak. Pre work. Pre work. At least pre thought. A little preparation. For this one. And uh, this one comes to us from Katie right here in St. Louis. Oh, hi, Katie. We just we just celebrated 314 Day. Katie, come to the library. I'm going to do a Harry Potter trivia. Uh, yeah, Florissant Valley Library. What's the date on that? May 20th. I still don't know what time. May 20th. We don't know what time, Katie. Just come when it opens. And sometime between when it opens and when it closes, we'll do Harry Potter trivia for about an hour. Uh, I think it's it. <laughs> Don't give a time. Don't give, don't give a time because it's going to be wrong, and then Katie's going to be mad at us. <laughs> I'm sorry, Katie. Look it, look it up on the library website. But uh, this one came we'll via on email, website. which you can always send to us, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. 
But you can also send it to us on Twitter at BroomsticksB or at Facebook uh, via Facebook Messenger as well. But this one comes to us, broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. And Katie writes, Hello, Rhinos! We often talk about which characters were cast perfectly in the movies. But who do you think wasn't cast as well? Now, I know you said you don't really have much for this. But feel free to jump in whenever. I have to put a caveat on this question. Mm -hmm. Because it may, in all cases, it may not be the casting that was the issue with the book-to-movie translation. Uh, We know that our friend Kelly, our favorite Slytherin up in New York... You're just trying to get brownie points. ...is very... Not anti-movie, but... Very much so pro-book. Yes. Um, I would go so far as to say anti-movie. <laughs> um, it may have been the writing, you know. If, for example, the writing, I think, the directing, right. there's all kinds of right. the product, the producing things you know. that go into, or even just the editing. You could yeah. take do a yep. scene six different ways, and the editor goes, "No, I like this one the best." And for example, I think Jenny Weasley is is a much better written, better book written character than the lines and sh- scenes she's given in the movie. And I don't think that that's the actress, Bonnie Wright. I don't think that's her fault. I like, I think that she, Jenny is just written as a more compelling character in the book than she is in the movie, you know, and the lines that she gets in the book and the things she gets to do in the book are more compelling than they are in the movie. Yeah. I feel like the movie people were just like, she's the little sister. We don't care. Yeah. They didn't realize that she would become an important character. Right. And I think the same thing with, uh, Fleur Delacour, for mm-hmm. example, she seemed like she had a this big, boisterous personality in the book. And she says, like, and, and in, in the, the movies, she's, in the movie, yeah, in the movies, she doesn't really have much of a personality at all. She's just kind of like a pretty girl. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the scriptwriter's fault, or like you said, like the directing or the editor's fault, not the actor or the actress's fault. Like trying to trim it down. Right. Like we can't give you, just even like Fred and George, they mm-hmm. don't get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And the the guys who played Fred and George did it brilliantly. I'm yeah, not saying they're that, awesome. They're and bad they're, actors. And they're, they're beloved, you know, in and those movies. And they were movies. probably cast perfectly. Yeah. At least one of them, because one seems a little more outgoing than the other. But, well, you met them, yes. so you would know. So I was just saying, like, like that's odd, you know, because they're twins and they're like a package deal. But one is definitely seems very Fred and George, and the other one seems a little more mm-hmm. reserved. Mm-hmm. But um, I still think they were cast perfectly. The one that I and this is probably kind of like what you were you're saying too. And this is probably not going to be a popular opinion. Nobody's gonna like me send, after this send episode. Your hate tweets at J E S S R Y N O. But I'm going to take it back, just like you kind of did. The first one I could think of, I kept going through the list of characters, and eh, no, eh, no, that one, not that one, not that one. That was a good fit. And then the one I stopped on was serious. I was going to say that as well. But then the more I thought about it, I just don't think his character's written very consistently. I was going to say the same thing. I like, almost put Sirius down, and I love Gary Oldman, the actor. Like, in, yeah, and I he's think in so much good he stuff. He did well with it. Yeah, when, but I don't think his character was written very consistently. Yep, I agree. And I get that he's kind of, you know, mentally not well, mm-hmm. and so that does explain some of his erratic behavior. But I just don't feel like he's the same person throughout the whole story. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't always fit right. And I wonder if that, because not, not all the movies had the same director either. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that kind of changes things as well, like how a character is portrayed under one director versus another. Even like in the books, mm-hmm. the way it was written, I just feel like she was like, she needed him to be this way in this scene. And she needed him to be this way in this scene. And I just don't feel like they flowed very well. Uh, I got you. To, to so like other. he, he kind of he was fighting a losing battle going to in. Go, yeah, going yeah. in. Because I just don't think his character arc was very consistent. Well, mine is from the previous book that we did, uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And I mentioned this at the time. Um, Let me see if you can guess. Because I I had big problems with just this character in in general. Um, 
with how he's portrayed versus like what how he should be portrayed. Do you know which character I'm talking about? Um, no. I just remember that you liked Karkaroff in the beginning and then you didn't like no. him. You're, you're That's close. That's where I got stuck. You're close. Mm-hmm. It's Victor Crumb. Oh, Crumb. Because he's supposed to be like this international, like, athletic superstar. Like a, like a David Beckham or like a Cristiano Ronaldo, mm-hmm. like soccer. Like or even inter- because he's like a young prodigy one too. So yeah. I don't even know what the equivalent like, is like there. Like freaking Pele or something. Like when he was like 18 and like helping Brazil win World Cups or something okay, like that. Okay, there you go. But he's just kind of like in the movie, he's kind of like a scrawny, not very, like he's, he's not very good looking. No. Um, regular dude. And he's supposed to be like this, like superstar that everybody fawns over. And I'm just like, that's the guy you got to play him. So mm-hmm. send your hate tweets at Dan Rhino, D-A-N-R-Y-N-O, <laughs> because I don't know. I think they, they could have got. Somebody hotter. Something. You yeah, wanted somebody, somebody hotter. hotter. I wanted somebody hotter. I wanted somebody <laughs> with a little bit more muscular definition. Um, I wanted somebody that you know they could take their shirt off and we could see a little you know. Be impressed. Yeah, I you wanted, wanted to I be wanted, impressed. I wanted to be impressed. Was is that so wrong? Wanting to be impressed <laughs> by a dude with a shirt off? Is that so wrong? I'm comfortable enough to say that. <laughs> the show I watched last night. There was a scene. Didn't disappoint. I was like, oh. Yes, you were very well cast. And he hits hits the gym, yeah, with regularity. Regularity, eating them protein bars. Um, so that that would be my pick, and then my backup would be uh, Peeves, because the actor that portrayed Peeves in the movie did such a bad job that he literally just disappeared into the background, and we never got to see him. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that was did just we, awful. Did we ever see Peeves in the no, movie? No, we didn't. The actor that portrayed him was just so bad at it that he just blends in with the background, doesn't stand out at all. That was supposed to be a joke. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> it fell. It fell flatter than a <laughs> than a plate full of butterbeer. <laughs> so that's where we're at right now. Thanks for listening. Just trying, I'm still trying to think of something. I thought it was pretty funny, but you know, whatever. This has been episode 114 <laughs> of Broomsticks and Butterbeer as we talked about <laughs> chapter 21 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, Jess is still coughing. Sorry, we're still under a cough. We're still under a cough warning. The Eye of the Snake, and we'll be back next time to talk about chapter 22. In the meantime, leave us a five star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on follow us on twitter at broomsticks b follow jess on twitter at j-e-s-s-r-y-n-o don't hate me send your hate tweets that way i'll take them as well at dan rhino uh follow the show at like i said at broomsticks b follow us on facebook as well you can send us messages there too uh shoot us your emails broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com and uh, ask us your questions or send us your funny anecdotes, and we'll give you a little shout-out on the air. Uh, until next time, be a wizard, be a witch, be a muggle, be a squib, but don't be a jerk. Or a git. See ya. Bye. i got some magic in me Every time I touch that track, it turns into gold Everybody knows